You're obviously in an emotional state right now. You're making rash decisions. Why don't you take some personal time, then see how you feel? That's not necessary, sir. I joined this program so that I could find my wife. I found her. End of story. Welcome back to Stargate Weekly. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 10, Forever in a Day. It sure felt like that, watching it. I know, right? Some parts of this episode really dragged on. So, when did it originally drag, Stuart? It originally aired on the 8th of October, 1999. When was it written? <laughs> it was presumably written before October 8th, 1999. <laughs> by by Jonathan Glasner and directed by Peter DeLuise. <laughs> Ca- caught in a trap there. <laughs> Our synopsis, written by TV Guide. <laughs> Daniel Jackson reunites with Share, but the bond has unfortunate consequences. What? Yeah, like... What? No? If by bond they mean the... Like, Share sending her mind through the ribbon device. That didn't have unfortunate consequences. Daniel is no worse for wear, and he has a new mission. Okay, so, the Stargate wiki, the synopsis is literally the synopsis of the cold open. The Abaddonians are kidnapped and sent to P8X873, which is controlled by Amonet, as several SG teams rescue the Abaddonians, Dr. Daniel Jackson tries to get Amonet and save Shaw Ray. Well, in a sense, since the whole episode, which really should have been told more like forever in a second. Ooh, that's a good point. Also, on that note, I remember nothing about this episode from before. Nor I. But do you remember how other languages wrote the title? Um, mostly boring forever in a day. Uh, the French were never ending day. The Czechs were the forever goodbye. And the Germans, as usual, death of Shaw Ray. The never ending goodbye isn't bad. No. The, the forever goodbye is what it was called, actually. Oh, okay, okay. Still, though, I mean, the Czechs always have, like, surprisingly good ones. Yeah, and the Germans are usually just like... Here, this is the name of the episode, because this is what happened. Part 7. <laughs> Death of Sharae, Part 7. Yes. Good lord. <laughs> so, yes, as the Stargate Wiki pointed out with their synopsis, we are on some planet that's not Abydos, and our SG heroes are there to rescue a bunch of Abydonians, including Goodfather, Kasuf, mm-hmm. played as always by Eric Avari. It's always great to see Eric Avari. Yes. And he points out to Daniel that she's taken the boy and hid him. And he points up the hill to where Share Amanet is just 
like 50 feet away. Just, just standing just, there, watching. Like, what? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. It was also weird when Daniel headed her way, and of course the two uh, uh, Horus guards come out. Yeah. And he like just like lights into them, but he has his eyes half closed, and it's just... He's been kicking around with SG-1 for like a couple of years now? Mm-hmm. You'd think he would be better at this. You'd think. So we do... We wondered earlier if the hand device was ever called a ribbon device because we had seen it mentioned somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yes. Yes, it is. Repeatedly. Yeah. In this episode. Also, did it seem like the Jaffa that they apparently were victorious and wiped out all the Jaffa, did it seem like they died really easily? Yeah, I had made that note as well. It was like 50-some of the Jaffa coming over the hill, and I get that the SG teams were like kind of like hunkered down in like a dune or something. And we also know that staff weapons are terrible at aiming, especially mm. if someone's like trying to like run down a hill with them. But still, yeah, it seemed way too easy. Also, we come back to the bullets look to plink off the armor. We don't see holes in the armor left by the bullets, but the Jaffa die. Well, they probably don't want to show like too much blood. Yeah, it's just yeah, it I, looks like the I bullets are de- reflect are deflected off the armor, and then they just fall over. Yeah. Something that I noticed that you probably didn't, and I didn't even notice on the first watch through, it wasn't until the second one, um, mm-hmm. was that it's a good thing that it was so easy to take out all the Jaffa, because Jack was not actually not going to be able to reload his MP5, even if he had tried. Oh. So he had done like the common thing that you see in tons and tons of um, movies and shows, where he had taped two magazines together mm-hmm. for, for quicker reloading. Mm-hmm. Except if you actually look at it, he has it ta- like ordinarily when you do this, you tape it so that the openings on the magazines are on opposite ends from each other. Right. So you just pull the mag out, flip it. Oh, he had taped the opening to the bottom of the other one. Well, not to the bottom, but they were both like they were both pointed up effectively. Uh huh. And they were taped right next to each other, so there would have been no way for him to put the other mag into the weapon unless he cut the tape and now it's that like well, what the was the purpose of the tape of, of yeah of the time-saving tape exactly yeah and it, and apparently he decided instead of reloading he would just to- go take over the big gun on the map yeah and i don't think we've seen the big gun on the map before that was a new one yeah and it's like hilarious because the map moves so slow and the gun fires so slowly too it's a big gun it's like a I think that was a Bushmaster, but don't quote me. It's like a 25mm cannon, basically, I think, if I have that right. It's a big gun. Fires- that should definitely have left some holes in the Jaffa. Yes. Yeah, it's like it's designed to, to fire slowly, because you don't need very many bullets on each target to like make a difference. Okay. So, I'm pretty sure I've seen this episode once before. Okay. And not, like, again, until just now. Okay. I'm <laughs> because, waiting for the punchline. Because, like, this is, like... I'm pretty sure... Like, I, the very beginning I remember pretty well. Because I think I've like... I'll watch a little bit and I'm like, Oh, yeah, this is Daniel coming to grips with Shari's death. I don't want to watch this. Is <laughs> basically how I have gone through this in subsequent rewatches of Stargate. It, like, this and Secrets has led me to determine that I just don't care much about Daniel and Shari's relationship. Yeah. Not really. It probably doesn't help that 
we don't ever actually see any part of their relationship. Still not the worst episode. Still not the worst Stargate thing with the Harcesis I've seen. Which one are you talking about? I'm talking about Origins. Wait, is that the one where the Harcesis comes to Earth and Daniel becomes like an evil dictator? No, 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 I'm talking about Stargate Origins. Oh, oh, it has oh, a okay, okay. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> and this is still better than Stargate Origins. Yes, it is still better than Stargate Origins. It has the better Kasuf as well. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. So, Daniel gets into the tent, and he's confronting Share, Amanet, and she ribbon devices him. Ribbons him? I don't know. What do you call it? Ribbons works. Okay. So she starts ribboning him. He collapses. The gun drops out of his hand like the weirdest looking way. And everything goes slow-mo. And we get a cool cool slow-mo effect of Teal coming in and then slowly looking down. I really enjoyed the slow-mo close-up of Teal's eyes moving. There were a couple of different slow-mo effects throughout the episode, and, like, that one was okay, but the other ones were, like, really rough and super obvious and unnecessary. Yes. No, I mostly just enjoyed the slow-mo of Teal'c's eyes. That was the only part that I liked. Well, who doesn't enjoy any moment at any speed of Teal'c's eyes? That's true. Well, not Daniel anymore now, because Teal'c kills Share. Well, Daniel got over that. Almost immediately. <laughs> How many times are we going to make that joke? Certainly from Teal'c's perspective. Yeah. This reminds me of Star Trek First Contact a little bit, actually. Uh, oh? Yeah, at the end, when um, Data says that he was tempted by the Borg Queen's offer. Oh, yes. And it was like 0. .6 seconds. For an android, that is nearly an eternity. Yes. But you were starting to say something. Yeah, so so like you, I usually don't rewatch this episode. And it has been quite some time since I've seen it before. So when I was rewatching it, this week to record i didn't like fully realize until they had actually posited the idea that like i just thought dan was hallucinating he's Mm. done it before it's true he'll do it again yeah he loves to hallucinate it's what he does Mm. and sometimes appear as a hallucination to other people so you know that that's just daniel shtick so but I, I like the idea of uh, Share beaming her thoughts mm-hmm. into Daniel's head while Amanette was distracted. That was kind of cool. That's an interesting I idea. I feel like if this was Share beaming into his head, then there should have been let when Daniel, inside Daniel's head, when he asks Daniel's head, Teal'c, if it's possible for the the host to send information through the Revan device that Teal'c should that it shouldn't have been less of well it's technically possible I mean since this you mean, is you mean Carter was it Carter yeah you're right yeah he talked with Teal'c about the Harcesis that's right like since this was all in his head the whole time it well no this was something created for Daniel by Share yeah so. This was effectively Share giving him that information through Teal'c or Carter. Right, but she should have. It should have. It should have been less. Well, it's technically possible, and more like, oh, obviously that's what's happening. Maybe, maybe that was like a, a way of Daniel's Daniel like filling in certain gaps. Like Share wouldn't have known to bring in um, what was it, uh, Robert Robert Rothman? I think yes, was the new guy. Like, how would Share know about that guy? To bring him in, how would 
Like, how would Charest know old Doc Frazier? Yeah, we see him a few other times. Uh, yes, he will appear two more times. Yeah. We also have old Doc Jackson this episode. Yeah. <laughs> but we're getting, we're getting a little off track, but at the same time, like, the way this, this episode is formatted, since it all happens in the blink of an eye, technically, mm-hmm. us meandering all over the place doesn't really matter so long as all the information gets to yeah. our listeners in the same way that as long as all the information got to dan and he got to the he got to the right place to the final conclusion then yeah everything's hunky-dory so so long as we are staying all meandering and whatnot robert rothman as played by jason uh jason shombing shombing okay yes was on the dead zone of course he was and seven days oh man so Back to the beginning. Yes. Daniel wakes up in uh, in the infirmary, mm-hmm. and there's old Doc Frazier. There is old Doc Frazier. He he comes to, they're telling him that Charé is dead, and Teal'c is sadly the one who killed her. So here's an interesting question. Did all did they actually defeat all the Jaffa, or did they have to make a fighting run for it? Because it seemed like they were going to get overwhelmed until we later learned they defeated them all, but that was actually in Daniel's mind that they defeated them all. The fact that Teal'c was able to break away from the fight to go save Daniel tells me Ooh, they did defeat them all. Good point. Good point. And considering how like how easy of a time the the Tari were having against the Jaffa, they defeated them all. Mm. Okay. But anyway, Daniel is doesn't believe that she's dead because obviously she's a goddess. So her dutiful attendants would have taken her off world to a sarcophagus and she'd all be killed yes they did and i did like the little the the one line he had said to kasuf after this where it was um the demon inside your daughter will help her rise again yes seemed like a interesting turn of phrase well he was explaining it in way in a way that kasuf would understand Oh yeah, no, I I get that, but like even with that, it still felt like a interesting turn of phrase. Hmm. And then, uh, I liked the deja vu, deja vu, deja vu scene. That was fun. Yeah, <laughs> I I mean I I liked that whole exchange. I also was amused that the subtitles didn't know how to do deja vu. Oh yeah. So they could have just gone with D E J A and called it a day. No one would have mistaken it for something else. But what they actually did was D-E, exclamation point, exclamation point, J-A. Okay, yeah. My, Which the doesn't subtitles make I any was, sense at all. <laughs> yeah, the subtitles I was looking at just said D-E-J-A. That makes much more sense. Yes. But the captions on the DVD, it was D-E, exclamation point, exclamation point, J-A. <laughs> Which is, I mean, I could almost see D-E, exclamation point, J-A, exclamation point, because there is an accent on both letters. On the E and the U? And, and the E and the A. E and the A, right, right, right. right. Yeah. I was jumping straight to the end. <laughs> There's an accent. Now, I am possibly getting these wrong. I always get confused. I think Grav is lower left to upper right. There's an accent Grav on the E and an accent Agu on the A, which is upper left to lower The right. other one. <laughs> yeah. So it goes, it forms a mountain around the J. Ooh. That's how I remember it. Okay. <laughs> But putting the but putting in two exclamation points after the e makes no sense whatsoever. 
Yeah, I don't have any good segues to go from Mountain back to anything else that happened in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, I'm just going to rewind a little bit to another scene that happened in Hammond's office where is he allowed to like just refuse to accept people's resignations? Like, like forgetting the fact that Daniel is, yes, a civilian, so therefore... Yeah, he definitely can't for a civilian. But like, if if, if O'Neill had walked in and be like, I'm resigning, is... Like, Hammond allowed to refuse it? I mean, that's a thing that happens in movies and TV shows. So, maybe? We could definitely use some information from some of our more knowledgeable friends on this one. Yeah, that'd be great. You can reach out to us on Twitter at Stargate Weekly or yep. StargateWeekly at gmail.com. Yes. Twitter's better. Twitter is better. While we're talking about reaching out to us, we recently had a review. Uh, by Satellite 5 on iTunes. They gave us five stars, which is awesome. And appropriate given the name. Yeah. They think that we know a lot about Stargate mythology, which, awesome. We try. And thank you very much. Yeah, no, that would, I mean, always great to get a review, and especially a five-star one. You know, makes us happy. Thank you for being a listener. We hope we uh, don't let you down. Also, while we're talking about reaching out to us, we are still looking for Stargate album art for our podcast. Yeah, so definitely uh, contact us on that front if you uh, are interested and think that you are able to help us out on that. And now, back to the show. Yes. So, I I also liked, in one of the many scenes where Daniel is back in the infirmary, mm-hmm. when he's just like staring at the pen... And talking about how Share was endlessly fascinated by it and all the other little aspects of, like, little pieces of technology that Daniel had brought back that probably most of us wouldn't consider to be technology. Mm. But, yeah, they wouldn't have a pen. That makes perfect sense. Well, I mean, especially not a, like, retractable ballpoint pen. Right. What's really interesting about the ballpoint pen... Like getting at, like even like even destroying like the click action ones like just like any old ballpoint pen is that up until like just a few years ago, um, although they were incredibly cheap and easy to mass produce, uh, they were not actually coming from China. They were almost like they were coming from like Europe or uh, or the U.S. Mm. Just because like being able to manufacture ball bearings that small and that precisely was just not possible in the in Chinese factories at sufficient yields up uh, up until just a few years ago. Like weird little things that you wouldn't even think about. Yeah, that is very interesting. Thank you. Not nearly as interesting as Daniel Jackson's apartment, though. Mm. You want to talk eclectic? Dang. Yeah. Also, like he should have known it was in his mind when Jack just broke in to sit on the couch. He should have known it was in his mind when he unlocked his door that Jack then said he would have to replace the lock on. Ooh, yeah. Got sick of waiting in the hall, so I let us in. You need a new lock, by the way. Also, he's moved since the last time we saw Daniel Jackson's apartment. Well, you know, people do. Well, he needed more space for all these artifacts he's clearly stealing. (laughs) Okay, so, by the way... At the end of the episode, yes. when Sharae tells him that the Harcesis is at Keb, Daniel says that's where Osiris hid from Seth, 
Or actually, I think he says Seth. Set. Mm-hmm. But Set is Seth, as we know. So, that's strange. Which part? I don't know Egyptian mythology all that well. I'm not even talking about Egyptian mythology. I'm talking about the Gould. Osiris I don't know Gould mythology all that well. Both of them are still on Earth. Well, we don't know about Osiris yet. We don't know about Osiris yet. <laughs> is Set technically still... Set is in Set is Earth. in Earth at this point. But <laughs> what we know is that neither one of them left Earth with the other Gould. <laughs> okay, but Daniel was referring to mythology. But why would there be a... Yes, but if the mythology predates the Gould... Which yeah. Is, why would there be a planet? Why would this planet exist? Because they can't. There isn't a. They can't do a real world thing to to do the analogy because Osiris and Seth never left Earth. Okay, so let's think through this. Okay, so you are saying just make sure that I'm not like mangling your argument because I'm pretty sure I agree with you, but I just want to make sure that I can like phrase it correctly. Mm-hmm. Is that obviously? The I you know the the mythological the idealized versions of Osiris and Set and Ra and all those existed before the Gould showed up. That's that is our your that is your base argument. Belief, yeah. Okay, and I don't think we've had anything to tell us one way or the other. But yes, the, 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 yeah, the consistent story is that the Gould poses false gods. Right, but they also there also is like the. We also see that the Gould inform the legend as well. Okay. Because, like, when we talk about Heru-Ur, the, uh, Daniel mentions that he was the son of Hathor and Ra. Right. Which Teal also says. Which mm-hmm. means that I think the at that point, that was the Gould informing the legend and not the other way around. Is it possible? Because I don't... I, I do know that we get introduced to Osiris this season. Is it? Isn't it? I don't think it is. It's soon. Is it? Is it? I don't think it is. We'll see. Uh, we'll first meet Osiris in The Curse, which is next season. Okay. Okay. So that's when. But when she shows up, do we get a backstory on. Like. Because with Hathor, she was in the sarcophagus all those years. Was it the same thing with Osiris? Osiris was imprisoned. Okay. Basically, what I'm what I'm getting at is like your argument precludes any possibility at all that any point Osiris left Earth to run away from Set, and then at another point made her way back to Earth, perhaps through the Antarctic Gate. No, that didn't happen. Or on a or on a uh, cargo ship. Yeah, I, that didn't because based on it, future knowledge. Based on future knowledge, uh, Osiris led an attack against Ra. And then Osiris and then Ra uh, Osiris and his queen Isis, because we think because Osiris was in a male host before he will not be. Uh, uh, Osiris and Isis led an attack against Ra. Ra stripped them of took the, extracted them from their hosts and locked them in stasis jars for eternal punishment. And then Osiris was still in that jar when. When they were discovered next season. Dang. Okay. So, I mean, in this case, then, it's just, this is perhaps 
just like a random piece of mythology that was not informed by or touched on by the gold. So why is there a planet named that? Oh, that's your whole point. Yes. I don't have an answer to you on that. Okay. During that conversation, I was like, when when that scene was happening in the show, I was A, focusing on like, Keb, yeah, that's a thing that sounds right. I, I know that word. Uh, and then was like... Do you? Well, no, because no, it, 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 it will get mentioned again later in the show. Mm. Yes, it will. Like, that, that's why. Cause it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it was like, oh, yes, this was mentioned by Budge. And it's like, what? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, who the heck is Budge? Some guy, some Egyptologist, presumably. Yes. <laughs> I, I miss the good old days when it was all about the Bainbridge Scholars. Ah, yes. Eric Avari was in that movie, too. I know. That's a classic that will never die. And yes, we will see Keb again uh, in... The future. That's Yeah, that's this season. We'll see it this season. So... In Maternal Instinct. Okay. So, I mean, I guess we have been on, more or less on topic this whole time, but... <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Obviously, when they wrote this episode, well, not necessarily, but probably, they had not yet decided to do what they did with Osiris. So, it's just, from the future, this doesn't make any, make a lot of sense. Right. Yeah, because they, they probably were, like, wanting to bring in, you know, Osiris in a certain way. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, it would be a year later that we meet Osiris. So, yeah, they probably hadn't even considered that whole storyline at this point. Right, and when it came time to write that episode and like and find a new Egyptian goddess that they hadn't already used, and they settled on Osiris, either they didn't notice that they had already used it before, or just didn't care. Yeah, and Osiris was an Egyptian god, not a goddess. They just chose to put oh. him in a human ho- in a female human host because that was the one available. I didn't realize Osiris was a uh, male. Yeah, it's just. Uh, I've forgotten her name, but Daniel's friend was the human that opened the jar, so... The character's name was Sarah. That's what I was thinking of, yes. Uh, I don't remember the actress's name. I don't know. Uh, uh, Sarah was the name I was looking for. She was blonde. Yeah. But we'll talk about that next year. Eventually, yes. Someday. Yeah. But yeah, Osiris was a male god, but yeah, he went into the female body because that was the one available to him. And the, because, you know, the gold can... The gold themselves, well, yes, <laughs> they do have genders, and I'm not going to go too much into that because I don't want to get another another letter from Marcus telling us how we didn't understand his first two letters. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we we fear the wrath of the biologist. Yes, yes, we do. The sting of his emails. He has a honeyed tongue, but he waxes at length. Nice. About these important distinctions <laughs> that just leave us all a buzz. <laughs> I, I got nothing more on that front. Let's talk about uh, Jack and Daniel's conversation when Daniel's packing up his stuff. Hmm. Okay. Jack doesn't think that Daniel can really leave. Right. Because obviously, although Daniel says. He was in it to find his wife, and he's done now. What 
Jack knows is that Daniel just loves exploring things. I mean, he's not wrong. Uh, no, especially in light of later when he's back at his apartment with Jack and Carter. And they're like, well, where are you going to go now? He's like, well, I'm going to go find the most remote dig I possibly can. He still wants to be an archaeologist. Yeah, and we know that Daniel, yes, it very much enjoys doing all the archaeological stuff and things. But at this time, it, it, it's not unusual for someone who's just suffered a traumatic loss to want to make a change or at least a temporary life change and do something different. That sure. is fairly common. Yeah, I, I just kind of... Because uh, I, I don't think that Hammond had brought up the idea of him taking an extended leap of absence. Mm. He was just like, I refuse your resignation. You're in a bad place right now. But it wasn't like, how about instead you take a month-long sabbatical or something like that? Yeah, well, Hammond didn't have an apartment for them to clean up, for him to clean up to work through his grief, so. <laughs> yeah. Hammond is no grief counselor. That's very true. Yes. Well, jumping towards the end of the episode and to, you know, kind of wrap up this conversation, this bit about Daniel leaving, mm -hmm. he doesn't for long. He has a couple of more, um, what I thought were hallucinations with Share, where she keeps telling him he needs to find the boy and make peace with Teal'c. Well, they're all hallucinations. It's hallucinations all the way down. Oh, that's true. So he calls up Major Carter yeah. to have a conversation with her and he gets to the SGC um, just as SG-1 plus Rothman are coming back through the gate. And as with all newbies, Rothman is wearing a helmet. You notice that when Daniel joins them, he has the floppy hat. Of course he has the floppy hat. He knows what's best for him. Daniel knows that Ban Daniel is worse, Daniel. So Ban Daniel is not good. No. Yeah, and Daniel tells Rothman that Jack doesn't like him because he's intimidated by his intelligence. And Rothman doesn't really have anything to say to that, which, I mean... I wouldn't have anything to say to that if someone said that to me, either. Yeah, I suppose that's true, but it does, I feel like, a little bit kind of counterproof Daniel's point. Yes. But he has this conversation with Carter, which we had alluded to earlier, about, you know, can the ribbon device be used to, you know, since, it, it, like, since there is, like, a mental component to using it, could thoughts be transmitted through it mm -hmm. i think has he rejoined the team yet no no he has a conversation with teal next well he wakes up in his apartment in between there i think like one of those times he wakes up in the apartment okay and then he talks to teal good enough well teal again has all of those candles he you know kelno ream requires a certain amount of candle action to achieve maximum results okay yeah. you do need a lot of candlelight for kelno reaming you know, like somewhere between 15 and 17 candles. Now I can't remember if it was Jack that said Kelno Reaming or um, Cameron. I want to say it's actually Cameron Mitchell that says Kelno Reaming. I know one of the one of the colonels in charge of SG-1 at one point talks about Kelno Reaming. Well, what about Carter? It was not Carter. Carter wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, I'm just saying she was one of the colonels in charge of SG-1 at one she point. She was, but... Carter would not say that. That's true. <laughs> yes, Daniel interrupts the Kelno Ream session mm -hmm. to ask Teal'c about the Harsesis. And we have a nice moment there where Teal'c th 
says he's thankful that Daniel appreciates his knowledge again. It pleases me greatly that once again, you value my knowledge. Yes. Now, I can't remember from Secrets. Is this the first time that we've gotten really like a good info dump on the Harcesis? I can't remember either. Possibly the name Harcesis? I remember we talked about the Harcesis in Secrets, but that might just be because we knew about it from later and from Origins. So I did not make a note about it when I made my notes about Secrets. So I'm thinking that, yes, this is our first solid info dump on the Harcesis. I feel like it must have been mentioned in Secrets. Well, I think the idea that it was uh, like a child of another ghoul, but you would have thought that Teal would have perked up at that at the time. You would have. Maybe they had made up their mind on what they're going to do with that. Okay, there's a note on the page for Secrets saying that it is mentioned in, for- in Forever in a Day that a child of two ghouls is called a Harcesis. So yes, this is the first time we get to mention the Harcesis. Okay. Yeah, and we get and you know we get some good information in the exchange between Daniel and Teal'c about what the Harcesis is all about. Where, yes, if two goulded hosts, as Daniel put it, uh, conceive a child, then their genetic memories are passed on, even to the um, like the human child, which is kind of interesting, actually. Yes, it is. And since. It would now have the combined genetic memory of two Gould. Like, that's a pretty big piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. Part of me wonders why the Tok'ra never did that. Feels like it'd be a potent weapon against the Gould. Yeah, that's a very good point. You would think the Tok'ra would do that. And that brings me up to another point about the Tok'ra. So, in the the second time that Daniel wakes up in the infirmary, this time to hallucinate Share being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get told that she was wounded, but they killed all the Jaffa, and then they took her straight away to the Tok'ra. Uh-huh. How? Well, they didn't, actually, so... No, but the point is, the Tari don't know where the Tok'ra are. Yeah. I don't even know if they have, like, a solid way of contacting the Tok'ra. I don't even, th- they I don't even know if do, they have, like, a... Like, they, when they need to reach out to the Tok'ra, they're able to do it, but, yeah, we don't really have a solid handle on that. Yeah, they have, like, some sort of, like, dead drop network or something to communicate with the Tok'ra, but it's not like they could have, like, pulled out their phone, called Jacob, and been like, hey, Dad, we need help. Mm. So that should have been Daniel's first clue that something was was hinky. That should have been. But Daniel is not in a very good mental state at the moment. No, he's getting ribboned. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so we found out about the Harcesis, and at this point, Daniel has decided that it is time to rejoin the team. And this is when we get the great deja vu. Deja vu. Deja vu. Mm. It feels weird. It's like we've mentioned that scene before. And we find out that Daniel had only joined the team so that he could then use the Stargate to go back to the world where... P8X... Yeah. 3-9 Share. Share, he's got your number. Yes. And I feel like... They might have been willing to go there if he just said this to them. Especially because we know that all the Jaffa were killed on this planet, so it's not like it would have been a danger for them to go there. Other Jaffa loyal to Amonet could have landed to investigate. Okay. It could have been dangerous. Then they could have sent a map. I mean, I feel like Daniel... A map with a big gun on it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I feel like Daniel was not thinking clearly here. Well, no, he was being ribboned. Deja vu? Deja vu? Deja vu? Mm. 
It feels weird. It's like we've mentioned that scene before. So, yes, he gets back to the planet where Share died. And again, she's there waiting for him. And this is when we get the info dump about Aminette's loyal handmaiden taking the Harcesis to Keb. Where Osiris hid from Set. Yes, but apparently not. <laughs> right. Unless Keb is another word for canopic jar. It's probably not. No, but... Especially because we later find out it is a real planet when they go there. Well, yeah, sure, but, you know, Osiris being imprisoned forever in a canopic jar sure seems like a good way to flee from Set. I mean, is it, though? Well, not good for Osiris, but... <laughs> I feel like Set could, like, track it, that down. Eh. I'm thinking but, Set wasn't even looking for Osiris, because he spent a couple thousand years on the same planet. He was built. He was busy making cults and like killing them off because he's weird. That's true. Well, he got ribboned, so he got ribboned hard. hard. <laughs> yeah, and that is pretty much that. Yeah, there isn't really much more to say on this, uh, either in the past or the present. And that, dear listeners, is next week's episode. Yes. Thank you for listening this week. Uh, if you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Delta Flyer. You can find a review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, StargateWeekly at gmail.com. I'm at Gamicus on Twitter. And I'm at Tyrannicus. And you can follow the show at Stargate Weekly. And that's our show. Yeah. Yeah.